You know, from our side, from this side of the Christmas story, from our side, from this side of history, when you think about the Christmas story, it seems pretty extraordinary, doesn't it? I mean, when you stop and think about it, it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you believe in him or not. The reality is when you think about the fact that there was a baby born in a very small, dusty Jewish town 2,000 years ago, and that baby grew up, and that baby taught some things that have now shaped all of our values, all of our moral code of conduct, all of in, how, in terms of how we define right and wrong, in terms of our ethics in life and how we relate with one another. Even if you're not a, a Jesus follower, you're not a Christian, you know, his teachings still impact, shape, and influence all of us and how we view one another 2,000 years later. That's pretty extraordinary. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, the story is even more extraordinary, beca extraordinary because we believe that that baby was God in human flesh. We think God showed up on this earth because we needed to know what he was like and how do you relate with an invisible God? That's difficult. So we believe God showed up to communicate and to demonstrate who he was and what he was like, and then Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins so we could have a relationship with him. That is an extraordinary story. But if there were a way for us to go back 2,000 years, if there were a way for us to travel back in time somehow and get on the other side of history, it's hard for us to grasp this because we've heard this story so often. But I'm telling you, I think if we could somehow get on the other side of history, the Christmas story would not look so extraordinary to us as, it un as it's unfolding. The Christmas story would actually look very ordinary on this other side of history. I think it would, it would look ordinary because when you begin to think about it, there was just an ordinary teenage Jewish girl named Mary who had a life planned out for and, you know, things were going like things were going and she was growing up in a little dusty town called Nazareth. About 400 people lived in her town. I mean, it, she was just living an ordinary Jewish life. She was engaged to Joseph, who was an ordinary teenage young man who was living an ordinary Jewish life, and he was learning carpentry from his dad, and his life was pretty much mapped out for him. Everybody's life in Nazareth kind of ended up the same way. You know, he's going to grow up, and he's going to get married, and he was going to be a carpenter, and that's how he would provide. And I mean, it was just hit on repeat. I mean, everybody pretty much did the same thing around there. Their engagement, when they got engaged, it was an ordinary engagement. I mean, their family, I'm sure, was excited, but this wasn't anything that made big news. And then... Once the birth of Jesus came, the Roman census that Caesar Augustus issued, it just seemed like an ordinary census. I mean, no, nobody, when Caesar Augustus issued that, thought, oh, here's the beginning of something incredible. We can't wait. This is, this is going to, you know, hit the start button on all of this stuff that God's been doing. No, everybody just thought, well, here we go again. We got another census, and Joseph and Mary were like, well, we got to go to Bethlehem, which was just another ordinary Jewish town. I mean, when the birth happened, there was nothing that seemed extraordinary about the birth. There wasn't anything extraordinary about where Jesus was born. There was nothing extraordinary about the shepherds who showed up. I'm telling you, if we could somehow get on that side of the story, I think we would be amazed to see just how ordinary it felt for them. It's extraordinary to us where we're sitting. It's extraordinary to us from our point of view and our perspective. But it was not that way in that first Christmas. And I, for us, because we know the end of the story, for us, because we, you know, we have the perspective and the view we have, but for us, because we sit over here on this side of history, I think it's easy for us to miss the significance and to miss the meaning of that first Christmas. It's easy to miss the significance of it being so ordinary. See, the, the ordinary is where the Christmas story 
and your story intersects. The ordinary is where the Christmas story and my story intersects. Let's be honest. We can't really relate to the extraordinary very well. You're like me. You live your days, and they feel like ordinary days for the most part, right? You don't lay your head on your pillow at night and go, well, that was another extraordinary day. No, you just wake up, and it's an ordinary routine and an ordinary job or an ordinary class or an ordinary whatever, and you're just kind of going through the motions. And every now and then in our lives, there's a moment, it's like this little blip, like, whee, that was extraordinary, and then it's right back to the ordinary, isn't it? Like you go to Disney and you ride a roller coaster, and it's, whee, there went Tower of Terror, and now we're right back to the ordinary. You know, it's, there's, there's very little, there's very little about our lives that feels extraordinary. But I wonder, and this is what I want you to think about today, I wonder, I wonder if it's possible that one day, when we're on the other side of our story, when we're on the other side of our history, I wonder if we're going to look back and realize that our very ordinary days and ordinary moments and ordinary careers and ordinary jobs and ordinary activities were packed with the possibility of extraordinary. I wonder if one day when we're on the other side of our story, we're going to have a perspective where we see, wait a minute, just like the Christmas story, there was, there was a possibility for you and for me to unlock some extraordinary things in the middle of our ordinary? I believe the answer to that is yes. And I think the way you unlock the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary is found in a single simple choice that's hidden right in the heart of the Christmas story. And it starts with Mary. You're familiar with Mary. Here was a teenage Jewish girl who has, had a, who has an arranged marriage that's coming up, and she has a very predictable life in front of her. Now, we hear all of that and think arranged marriage, well, that would be terrible. I mean, but let's, let's just be honest about it. When there are 400 total people in your town, there are like three eligible bachelors anyway. So it's like, Mom, you can pick any of the three. It doesn't matter. Some of you single ladies feel like that in Murray, don't you? So, so it was, there's not a lot to choose from. So they just arranged the marriages back then, and Mary knew exactly what to expect. She was going to marry Joseph. He was going to be a carpenter. He was going to provide for her. It was going to be a very predictable life. She was going to do what all Jewish women did. She was going to, you know, have a family and take care of the family, and she was going to have her role. I mean, she just knew it was predictable. Everything about it was predictable. Until that day when she gets a surprise visit from the angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel looks at her and says, Mary, God's been paying attention to you, and God's proud of you. And God's going to show up on this earth through you. And in that moment, everything began to turn for Mary. In that moment, Mary had a choice. And you know how she responded. She responded so excited because if it's God's baby shower, how big's it going to be? That's awesome. No, that's not how she responded. Read your Bibles more often. That's not what she did. Well, you knew that. She responded like any of us would respond. She responded terrified and confused, didn't she? Terrified and confused. Confused because as... The angel Gabriel unpacks all of this for her and tells her that it's going to be Jesus, the long way of Messiah, and he's going to save his people from their sins. Mary just, Mary lost all that. She ignored every bit of it. Mary was locked in on the first part. You're going to have a baby. She didn't go past that. And we know that because the very first words out of her mouth to Gabriel when he was done was not, oh, tell me more about this Messiah. The very first words were, oh, how can this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, no, 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 I don't understand how the baby thing works. I, I'm not going to be pregnant. That's not how it works. She was as confused as she could be, and she was terrified because she knew, especially in that culture, she knew exactly what it meant, exactly what it meant for an unwed teenage girl to be pregnant. She knew how she would be isolated. She knew it would probably cost her her engagement to Joseph. She knew it was going to cost her all her safety and her security. 
She knew if this really happened, her very predictable life was about to get turned upside down. Besides, how do you convince anybody in your little town of 400 people that this story that God's put a baby in your belly is actually true? And so in that moment, she had a choice. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but wonder what would have happened if Mary would have said no, because she could have. Mary could have looked back at Gabriel and said, nope, I'm not interested in signing up for that. Thank you anyway. And she would have escaped all the tension. She would have escaped all the trouble that was out in front of her that she knew was coming her way. But instead of doing that, Mary made a very simple but powerful choice that teaches us a lot about how to unlock the extraordinary in the midst of our ordinary lives and our ordinary moments. Here's what Luke tells us. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's that simple. In that moment, Mary decided, you know what? I've got my plans, and my plans are very predictable, and my plans are very safe, and my plans seem very secure. But I tell you what, I do not believe my life is my own. So even though I've got these plans and I hope these plans come true, I'm not going to hold to them with clenched fists. I'm not going to try to control everything in my life. I'm not going to try to control how my future unfolds. I'm not going to try to control what happens to me. I'm not going to choose safe and secure and predictable. I'm going to live my life with open hands. I'm going to hold my plans with open hands. And you know what, Gabriel? If this is what God wants to do with my life, I know what it's going to do. I know how it's going to turn everything upside down. It's very uncertain. It's very unpredictable. But I tell you what, I don't think my life is my own, so I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold it with open hands. And if he wants to take it and do something entirely different with it, I am his servant. And I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him because I don't know how this is going to unfold. I don't see a path that I can take with this scenario where things turn out great for me. But I'm trusting that his word to me is going to be fulfilled. He'll do what he said he would do. And he has my best interest at heart. And then Gabriel leaves. Doesn't stop to take a selfie. Doesn't write down the plan. Gives her no proof that this happened. And there Mary is thinking, okay, how am I going to work up the courage to tell Joseph what just happened? And how in the world am I going to convince him that I'm telling the truth? And so she goes to Joseph. And you know the story. Joseph responds like any of us would respond. Mary looks at him and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I didn't cheat on you. This is God who's done this. And Joseph basically looks at her and says, Mary, would you stop embarrassing yourself? Clearly, you cheated on me. I don't want to embarrass you in front of the entire community. I'm going to, you know, end this engagement and this marriage quietly. We're not going to make a big deal out of it, but just stop embarrassing yourself. Do not, do not, do not try to tell us this story that this is God that did this. It's obvious you cheated. Don't embarrass yourself like that. And he ended the engagement. Of course he ended the engagement. We would all do the exact same thing. In the very first year we started our church, there were uh, two college students who attended our church who were dating, and she got pregnant, and they came to talk to me about it, which that wasn't unusual. What was unusual is they looked at me and said, we want to let you know she's pregnant, but we've never had sex. At which point I looked back and said, either you're lying to me or I need to get you both committed because y'all have got some problems. I mean, who, who buys that? Apparently I looked like quite a fool. They were lying. I mean, of course they were lying. Eventually they were honest about that. But that's how any of us would respond. Of course it's, that's what Joseph thought. Are you kidding me, Mary? 
you're lying. You're either lying or you're crazy because that's just not the way it works. And the engagement was off. And Mary's world got turned upside down just like she thought it was going to. And nothing was certain anymore. Meanwhile, Joseph went home. And he went to bed that night thinking his world had been turned upside down and he was starting over when it came to his plans. But that night he has a dream. And in that dream, the angel shows up to him. And the angel says to him, Joseph, what Mary told you is true. She's not lying. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. She is going to birth the Messiah, the one your people have been waiting on for thousands of years. And you're going to give him the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Can you imagine what must have run through Joseph's mind when he woke up? He had to be wondering, was that, did I just have that happen? Like, was that real? Or should I not have made that late night ice cream run? Is that why, you know, it's kind of like, am I so emotionally distraught that I'm having stupid dreams here? Like crazy dreams? Like what? You know he had to wrestle with, is, is that, was that legit or not? And he decided to, just like Mary. He decided, in spite of the fact, this would turn his world upside down. In spite of the fact it would introduce all kinds of uncertainty into his life. That he was going to believe. That he was going to follow. Matthew tells us here's what he did. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And just like he was told, he gave him the name. Jesus. In other words, Joseph decided, you know what? There is a price to pay for this, but I'm going to pay it. This is not an easy path to take, but I'm going to take it. I'm not going to hold on to my life and my future. I, I don't know what this means. I just know it doesn't mean anything good if I stick by her after all of this happens. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold my life and my plans with clenched fists. I'm going to hold them with open hands. So, God, if this is what you want for us, I don't know where it leads. I don't know how it leads to anything great for me. But I'm going to surrender. That is the choice that Joseph made. In essence, he said, just like Mary, I'm the Lord's servant. Okay, if this is what you want, this is what you can have. Now listen, the reason that's so important to understand is because there is a danger for all of us. The danger for all of us is to clench tightly to what is safe, to what is secure, to what is predictable. The danger for all of us is to clench tightly to the plans that we have made and the plans we think will work out best for us. But here's the danger in holding tightly to the safe, secure, and predictable. The danger is they lead to the ordinary. Safe and secure always lead to an ordinary life. And the reason they always lead to an ordinary life is because this is true. To live your life for yourself leaves you at the end of life with nothing to show for yourself but yourself. If you spend your entire life, if I spend my entire life holding on to our plans and trying to control everything... I'm going to control it, and I'm going to manage it because I know what's best. I'm going to control it, and I'm going to manage it because I want what's best for me. So I'm going to control and manage how everything plays out in my family because in the end, I know the kind of family relationships I want, and I know where I want them all to live, and I know how I want it all to work out because it's best for me. It'll make me feel best. I'm going to control, and I'm going to manage my salary and my career and you know, taking this job, going down this path, going to school here. I'm going to control and manage all that. I'm making the choices I think are best for me. Because I know they're predictable. If I hold on to all of that, what I'm actually doing is living my life for myself. And at the end, at the end, don't miss this, at the end, you may have lived a very, very successful life. But I'm telling you, when you're on the other side of your story looking back, you will realize 
that that success did not deliver significance. You may have lived a life full of memories. You may have all kinds of memories. But you won't have very many meaningful moments. Because significance and meaning and purpose do not come from living for yourself. You'll get to the end. You may have experienced a whole lot. But you will not have done or experienced anything that will outlast and outlive you. Because to live your life for yourself leaves you at the end with nothing to show for yourself but yourself. And Mary and Joseph could have made that choice. And none of us would have known any different. They could have said, nope, I'm holding on to my predictability and to my plans and to my safety and security. Mary could have said, I'm not going to be the mother of this baby. Joseph could have said, I'm not going to stay with her. And we wouldn't know either one of their names today. You know what? They would have lived a very, very ordinary, normal Jewish life. But they would have never experienced extraordinary. It requires surrender. It requires opening your hand to your plans to experience and unlock the extraordinary. But here's the beauty of this. When you choose to live with open hands, Jesus does something remarkable. Jesus elevates the ordinary to the extraordinary. Now, don't miss this. He does not trade it out. He actually takes the ordinary things you have in your hands, and he infuses them with extraordinary moments. He takes the ordinary things in your hands, the ordinary situations you live through, and he brings something significant right out of those ordinary situations. He takes the ordinary moments that you have in your life, and he brings something extremely meaningful right out of those moments. He takes normal, ordinary conversations you have and uses them as a catalyst to change the lives of other people. And you find out down the road when you're on the other side of your story, looking back, you realize, oh my goodness, I just, I didn't realize when I said that it had the impact on them. I didn't realize when I said that God was actually at work right there in the midst of that conversation. It just seemed like an ordinary conversation to me, but he was at work making it, elevating it to extraordinary. That career that just seems so ordinary to you and you're just doing it and doing what everybody else does, when you hold it with open hands, he uses it as a channel to change the lives and influence the lives of people all around you. And again, you may not see it in the moment, but when you get a little further down the road and you begin to look back, you begin to notice, you begin to hear, you begin to realize. He took me showing up in an ordinary job every single day. And he took making widgets, and he took balancing numbers, and he took building houses, and he took whatever the thing is that you do, showing up at classes. And in the midst of those ordinary moments, he was at work, and you may not have even seen it but he used you to influence and impact and change the lives of the people all around you. And it's simply because you and I have chosen to hold our plans with open hands. And it is an invitation for him to elevate the ordinary to extraordinary. This is what Jesus did the entire time he was on this earth. I mean, he did it with Mary and Joseph. He did it with this little town of Nazareth and this little town of Bethlehem we should know nothing about. He did it with the shepherds. He did it with all of that that transpired at his birth. But then as he grew up, he continued to do this. Jesus would interact with very ordinary people who were discouraged, who were in despair, who were devastated, who were diseased, who were disabled in some way. And as they took what seemed very ordinary to them and they held it out to him with an open hand, he would elevate that to extraordinary measures. His disciples are a great example of this. He took ordinary guys who were fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John. He took a tax collector named Matthew. He took guys like Nathaniel and um, Thomas. 
and they handed him very, very ordinary lives. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we know their names, and we know their story, and we are sitting here because they began a movement that is still going strong today. The night of his arrest, Jesus sat down with those guys for what to the Jewish people was a very ordinary tradition called Passover. Once a year, the Jewish people would sit down and they would eat this meal to remind, to remind themselves and to celebrate the fact that God had rescued them and delivered them out of Egypt thousands of years before. And Jesus sat down the night of his arrest at this very ordinary tradition, and you know what he did? He looked at the guys and said, I'm changing this tradition up. I'm elevating it from ordinary to extraordinary, to which I'm sure they thought, whoa, whoa, whoa you, can't, you can't do that, Jesus. Like, this is, this is a national tradition. He said, no, no, no I'm, I'm changing it. Because from this point forward, every year when you sit down to have the bread and the juice, every time you do this Passover remembrance, it's going to be a reminder of what I'm about to do for you of the extraordinary love I'm about to demonstrate to you and to the entire world. And by the way, he said, you know that ordinary law you Jewish people have, we all have it as Jews, that we're to love our Jewish neighbors ourselves, we all follow that. I want to give you a brand new command that's extraordinary. I want you to love your neighbors yourself, but you can't define neighbor anymore as a Jewish neighbor. Now you've got to define it as every person from every nation, from every generation. So you're to love your enemies as much as you love your friends. You're to love the people that aren't like you as much as you are the ones that you like. You're to love them the way I have loved you. And by the way, this is how everybody's going to know that you're my follower. It's by the love you show to your neighbor. It's going to be extraordinary from this point forward. And then he went to a very ordinary Roman cross which had been used in that period of time literally thousands of times to torture and execute individuals. And he took a Roman cross that was a symbol of torture and execution, and here we are 2,000 years later, and it is now a symbol of freedom and forgiveness. He took a borrowed tomb, and three days later he walked out of it and made it an empty room so we would know that our Heavenly Father was for us and that Jesus was who he said he was. This is what he did his entire life. He would take the ordinary. He wasn't looking for anything extraordinary. He would just take the ordinary, offered to him, and make it extraordinary. So here's my question for you. What is it? What is it that you hold so tightly to? We've all got something. What's that thing that you want to control so badly? What's that thing that you just can't seem to let go of, and any time it's threatened, you just hold a little tighter? Because you know how you want to turn out, and you know how predictable you want to be, and you think you know what's best for you, and you're going to live for yourself when it comes to that thing. What is it that you need to hold with open hands? It may be a grudge that you feel like you deserve to hold, but you need to open up and extend forgiveness. It may be a career path, a career plan, a salary a financial plan that you have, and you just, okay, I'm doing this the way I want to do it because I want to be safe and secure at the end. And you need to open up and surrender. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that you need to stick with and trust God with. Maybe it's a, an unhealthy relationship that you're holding on to and you need to let go of and walk away. I don't know what this thing is for you, but we've all got something we tend to hold on to. And when it's threatened, oh, man, we fight back so hard. When God tries to, you know, 
get involved in that area, we push them away quickly. Whatever that thing is, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. To hold on to that will deliver safety and security and predictability, maybe. But you will definitely lose the opportunity to experience Jesus elevate that ordinary thing to something extraordinary. You have to hold your plans with open hands. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And the reason we wanted to do this today is because communion is a celebration of what Jesus did with his disciples on that Passover night. It's a chance for us to remember that he didn't just show up on this earth and tell us, oh, you guys need to trust me and you need to, you need to surrender to me. No, no, no. He said, let me show you why I'm trustworthy. And he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sins, to make it possible for us to have a relationship with him and to forever answer the question, is God really for us? He proved he was trustworthy. He proved that you can open up your hand and trust him. And he has your best interest at heart. I mean, the reality is there is a price to pay, isn't there? There is a price to pay when you let go. There is a price to pay when you hold your hands or plans with open hands. But there is a payoff as well when you do. And you know what the payoff is? The payoff is purpose. It's purpose. Purpose is always found on the other side of what's in it for me. Significance is always found when you step across the border of selfish living. That's where purpose and significance are, and you never get there with this. You can live a memorable life. You can live a successful life. You will not find meaning and significance and purpose until you live with open hands. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And here's what I hope this moment is for us all. I hope this moment is an opportunity for us to let go of whatever we're holding tightly to. To let go and to say, okay, I'm going to trust you with this. To let go and like Mary and Joseph to say, I don't know where this is going to lead. I'm not even sure how it's going to work out. But I'm your servant. I'll trust you. I'm going to hold my plans with open hands. For some of you, you're not followers of Jesus yet, but you're so close. I mean, you've been kicking the tires and testing the waters and thinking about it, but you just haven't quite gotten to a point where you're willing to let go of your life. Today could be the day. I hope today is the day where you'll just let go and take all your questions and all your doubts and just carry them right into relationship with Jesus, but say, you know what? Here you go, Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but I think you're trustworthy enough. I think you love me enough. I can trust you with my life. Here it is. You can do that today right where you are and celebrate with us his incredible love as we take communion. If you don't want to take communion in a moment, you're welcome not to. Don't, don't feel obligated to do it. Nobody's going to think anything of you. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus and, and want to do this, let's celebrate the love and the gratitude and the extraordinary generosity that he's demonstrated towards us. I want to give us a moment before we do that for you just to reflect, for me to reflect. I hope you'll take these next few moments to think about what is this thing that I'll just hold so tightly to? And would you use these next few moments to let your Heavenly Father know, I'm going to open up my hand. I'm going to trust you. I want you to take my ordinary 
and elevate it to something extraordinary. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment to pray and reflect.